Hey church family, as you know, we have some amazing missionary partners all around the world. One of those missionary couples are Travis and Victoria Ammon who serve in Poland. And as we're concluding our Jonah series, we had an opportunity to talk to them to hear what it means to trust in the Lord as they answered their missionary call. We've been here on the field for 14 months and we're so happy and excited to share with you a little bit of how um, our call to trust in God uh, as we through becoming missionaries to Poland. For me, it's it's hard to trust God because of my way of thinking. I'm just over analytical thinker and I, uh, I like a plan, I like a purpose, I like a checklist. It is like, what helps me in life? And obviously coming here, those things were good to have, but it necessarily didn't always work out that way. I remember just like praying, Lord, help me trust um, your provision for our family mm. because already it felt like it was starting up before we even got here a little bit rocky. The Lord went before us. Mm. It, it wasn't easy. Sure. I, th I think trusting in God, it's not this easy thing. We, we're Our flesh is fighting it because mm. we want control. Yeah. We want control of our life. Trusting in God, it's, it's dying to ourselves. It, it's that sanctification process. It is being molded uh, before and chiseled to become like Christ. As Victoria mentioned, it's not always easy to trust the Lord's call on our life, but our confidence comes from the fact that we know that he goes before us, but we also know that he works through us. One thing that, that we can trust in is that uh, God speaks for us. Yeah. Um, and and they, it's not our words that have any power. Uh, and, you know, Paul even said, like, you know, I, I planted, uh, but God gave the growth. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, he uses us to, to speak, uh, but without him, we are speaking in vain. Um, and we, our words have no power, but his, his, his words do, his, his spirit does. Circumstances don't dictate God's goodness. Mm. You know, again, if it's if it's difficult, um, or if it's overwhelming, or anxious, and you know all these things that we can feel in our in, in our hearts and our souls, and um, to know that that again doesn't change who God is, right? Um, and that God doesn't you know change with our circumstances, but that He's constant and consistent and. And not just in like a, an okay way, but in a great way. His, right. He is great in every way. Yeah. The call to trust wasn't just for Travis and Victoria. It was a call to trust for their entire family. Bóg stworzył mnie i powiedziałem, że kiedy chodzę do samolot, Bóg powiedział o mnie, że że po prostu Ja mam dobry czas tutaj na Polska i myślałam, że to nie jest prawda, ale wtedy czas i czas i czas, no to jest prawda, że mam dobry czas tutaj. I mam koleżanka i ja wiem, że Bóg czasem wtedy to nie jest dobry. As we've seen this morning, a call to trust comes in many forms, but ultimately it is a call to trust the Lord and his plans, even when we don't understand them. Well, good morning, Real Life Church. It is so good to see you. Hopefully you've stayed bundled and warm. Um, we were uh, having dinner outside last night, and we regretted every second of it because um, uh, it got a little bit chilly. But uh, we're so glad that you guys are here. Um, those that are joining us online, thanks for joining us. Um, we are concluding our uh, Jonah series here this morning. And as you can see, we started out with our missionary partners from Poland, Travis and Victoria, Logan and Gracie. And, and, and if we're honest, um, this whole journey through Jonah um, it has been a journey really of trust about whether Jonah did or didn't trust in, in a lot of ways. There's moments that obviously at the beginning of the book, he he didn't trust. He didn't believe that God had the, the right picture, the right view, the right choices that were being made. And, and so obviously Jonah's life 
uh, kind of reflected that, that objection of what God decided to do. And, and then through his grace, obviously God continued to work in Jonah's life and bring him back to a place where um, he was, had a second chance, a second opportunity to be used of God, and he finally took advantage of that. But but as we conclude, and as Pastor Caleb shared last week, there were some still things, still things in his heart, in his life. And it's just, it's incredible how God still continues to use us despite the continual brokenness and sinfulness sometimes in our heart. And, and, and this morning, as we looked at this, this video, if you, as you watched this, this journey, and I've had the opportunity to know the, the Amons for a while, they were just a small little family, and uh, they adopted two of their girls, obviously, through the course of their uh, of their life, and, and so they initially started in Kentucky, and, and God maneuvered them around the United States in ministry, finally getting into Texas, where they just felt this impression, this calling to go, to go to a place that they've never really been, to go to, a, uh, to go be around a people group that they've never, they never even thought that they would go to actually be a part of, to speak a language that, that goodness, they've, they've, they've never, uh, they, they're not even sure even now if they can figure it out. Now, obviously, their, their children, uh, they just kind of come right in. Children have that gift, especially when learning a language, they can come right in and just kind of pick it up. And so you saw uh, little Gracie be able to kind of express that, and she's like almost fluent, and, and Victoria's really upset about that. She's like, I can't even get it. I don't know. And so, uh, but the reality is, is they, call, they had this call on their life to trust God, and they had no idea how God was going to do it. They had to trust God for their provision. As you can hear, Victoria loved, loves the checklist. Okay, God, okay, if it goes like this, 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 and this, then I'll trust you. Then it'll work out. But they didn't. They just said, we're going to go. We believe this is what you want, and we're going to trust you even when we don't understand. And through that, and I, without them even um, going into a lot of things, they, uh, they've seen a, a mountain of blessing. And they wanted me to express that to you all. They've seen so many things that God has done through just their willingness to be obedient in that moment and trust God in a way that they never have. And you know, it's interesting. I, <laughs> I have a hard time sometimes trusting God will give me a good parking place in front of, you know, the store sometimes, uh, let alone going to a different country and being, being a part of a ministry and doing something that feels just out of pocket, that, that we don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. And, and it's interesting how when you look at your life, and even when you look at Jonah's life and you look at Travis and Victoria's life, you see all of this this, maybe this blessing in the past, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can always see clearly in the past than we can in the future, and God sometimes gives us that gift. But what happens when things don't necessarily turn out the way we want? And that's kind of where Jonah kind of came to. My, um, my wife shared with me a story, Michelle. Um, she shared with me a story about an experience she had prior to us getting married. And this is several years before we got married. She was still in college. Um, she had just gone on this mission trip. She went on a mission trip, and, and, uh, and man, she's like, man, God moved. Uh, little children were giving their heart to Christ. We were able to love uh, the unlovable, and it was just a beautiful moment. And she flew back into the country, and it was late at night. And uh, she was living in the West Palm Beach area, and, uh, and so she flew in late at night, and, and she decided um, she was just really hungry, and so late at night she decided to stop by, get, grab a quick bite, and then finish her way back to the apartment, and, uh, and then and go, to, go get some rest, well-needed rest that she needed. Well, while she was going to get some food, she said um, a gentleman came up to her and, uh, and mugged her, basically. Um, he came up, and he, she said, and I remember his smile, and his smile, she, he had this gold tooth, and, and the whole time he was trying to grab her, her purse that, that she had, and, and she had this soiree of emotions is what she said. She said, I felt angry, and I felt frustrated, and, and then I felt uh, afraid, and then I felt like it was all this, and so there was this tug of war between the person, this guy, and the whole time this guy's smiling with this gold tooth, and, and uh, then he finally grabbed it, ripped it from her hands, and she, he ran off, and, and she just felt violated, and she felt scared, and she didn't know what to do, and so it was this mixture of anger and tears and all of the above. And, and then she moved from all of that into this place of going, God, you just, I just saw you work in incredible ways. I'm just, I'm so afraid now. And she said that she started having nightmares 
as the day went on of this experience. And she would see this, this guy in her dreams. And, and she knew that he had his, her personal information. And, and the personal information made her ever, uh, you know, ever more afraid. Because it's like, what if, she, what if he comes to where I live? I mean, all these questions. I mean, rightful questions when something like that happens. And she, she's, she's going, she's like, Joel, I, I, couldn't, I didn't feel like I could trust anybody. I couldn't trust the people sitting next to me, let alone the Lord. And, 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 and it got to the point of where I was afraid to go from my apartment, which is right down the road from my first class. I mean, normally I would just get up and then walk to my first class, but I was so afraid that I needed a friend to pick me up just to drop me off at that class because I could, I, I, I began to have all these questions. What if I run into this guy on my, on my walk there? I mean, all these things were happening, and God, why, why? I don't, I, I can't trust anything. I can't trust anything in my life anymore. And, and she just felt so uncertain about a lot of things. And I think some of us, maybe not in that particular experience, we can relate on some level to go, man, what happens when, when things that we don't understand take place in our life can, can we really can we really still trust the lord can we i mean i mean just just days i mean hours prior to that moment she trusted the lord on dangerous streets in in the 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 uh, the, the third world country that she was in and and god navigated her to different conversations and and she trusted the lord on the planes and trusted the lord in all those interactions and then all of a sudden she got there and now she feels like all of a sudden, she can't trust anyone, maybe even the Lord. I can't trust the Lord. I'm so afraid, God. Why is it so hard sometimes, if we're honest, why is it so hard to trust God for us even after he has done so much for us? See, Jonah, Jonah, if we're honest, Jonah, come on, man. <laughs> you like, you... You were in the belly of a whale. Right, that's like the one-up story of one-up stories, right? Like you're having a conversation and they're like, well, then this happened. He's like, well, yeah, I just got thrown up by a, a whale last week, you know? Like no one's going to beat that story. I mean, no one's going to... No one's going to one-up that. Like, that's the one-up story that, that Jonah has. And, 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 but he saw God's hand move in his life and take him from where he was and how, far, how disobedient and how rebellious he was to a place of absolute, am I going to live or am I going to die? And then God rescues him and, give, and becomes the God of second chances and puts him back into a place of where he has another opportunity to obey. And he does in that moment may not be in the way that, that we would think would be ideal, but he did. And God used the small loaves and fish of his small words to see a nation turn its eyes once again to the Lord. I mean, thousands of people turn toward the Lord. And as we learned last week, we see what Pastor Caleb said, man, there was still some things going on in his heart. There was still anger, selfishness, self-righteousness in his life. And he didn't feel like it was fair. God, why? Why? I don't understand why you're doing this. I know that you're that kind of God, but, and, and you rescued, but, but, I, but why? I don't, I don't get it. See, Jonah struggled to understand why God would show mercy towards an unworthy, barbaric people. But if we read this book for any amount of time, see, God's been always, see, God's always been working according to himself, never you. If you pick up this book for any amount of time, he does not work according to you. He's always worked according to himself. Always. And, and I know if you're sitting there, you don't like that. You know why? Because I'm standing up here and I'm going, I don't like that. I like my way. We like our way. I want to trust in me. I want to trust it. We want to trust in ourselves. We don't want to trust in, in, in God who who moves in ways that sometimes we like or we don't like, who does things in ways that we like or we don't like. Now, it's okay, it's okay, as we're going to see, it's okay when God blesses us, because then we like, and then we trust God, we trust you, because everything's going well, but when things go amiss, when things go south, or they, things happen in ways we weren't even expecting, tragedy happens, all of a sudden he's not worthy to be trusted in that moment. So this is where the book of Jonah concludes. In Jonah chapter 4, see, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 
I want you to see how God has constantly been working and how we constantly continue to respond in the same way. Deuteronomy chapter 1 says this, And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness. He's talking to the children of Israel. He's like, you guys know that, that God's been caring for you. And we love that part, right? We love it when God cares for us and, and he does what we want him to do and what we like him to do and it works out according best for us or at least in our own minds. And, and so he's like, you know about all that and how he traveled through the wilderness just as a father cares for his child. Now he's even brought you to this place, the promised land. Even better, things are going well, but, but even after all he did, you refused to trust the Lord your God who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. After everything that God had done for the children of Israel, they still, they still struggled with trusting. So this is, not a new, this is not a new scenario. This is not a new theme in, in the life of, of humanity and in, in God's chosen people. Like we like it when God does certain things that we like, but we don't like it and we don't feel like he's worthy to be trusted or worth being trusted when he goes against something that we don't. Or he does something unexpected or he, he navigates in a way that, that, wait a second, that's, you're pushing against things that I, I, I never expected. I didn't see that coming. And as we see in Jonah, as we finish up and conclude the book here today, we'll see this very response from Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah continued to seek his own answers in, more in how he felt than who God was. So let's find out exactly how Jonah interacted with Lord in these fi- the Lord in these final verses. But Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 4, this is what it says. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? I mean, is it right? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. See, and the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also... That also arranged for a worm. The next morning, at, da- at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Again, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Heavenly Father, we come before you in this moment. We just humble ourselves. God, would you silence our hearts? God, would you help us to see you in a new way, hear from you in a new way, Lord Jesus. Lord, I, I know there are things that go on that we don't fully understand. There's things that we like and we don't like. God, I pray that you'd bring us to a place of where we see, from you, see you and hear from you in a way that maybe we never have, that we would begin to learn to trust in you in a way we've never trusted you. Lord, we invite you to be here. Give us wisdom beyond our years or experience. And Holy Spirit, would you do the work? Would you do it all? And would you receive all the praise, honor, and glory in what you decide to do? Lord, we love you. Thank you for how you're moving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jonah gets a question. 
And it was, the, it was the question that was concluded last week with Pastor Caleb, and, and it's the question that we're beginning here today. It, he says, Jonah, Jonah, listen, uh, do, did you forget everything that I've done for you? Did, did, did you forget that you were in the whale? Did, did you forget at the fact that, that I saved you even when you were thrown in the ocean and, and, and the storm was getting ready to destroy not just you, but all the collateral damage of the, the, the captain and all the sailors in the sea. And, and remember when I, when I redeemed that moment and, and I brought you to a place of where you finally saw me and heard me once again and, and I became the God of second chances, giving you another opportunity to be obedient, to speak my message, to be used by me and for me. And, and in that moment you did, do you remember remember? when you did that, even though you may not have did, did it the way that you, uh, like what you should have, you shared eight verses, way to go, but the bottom line is, is I used those eight words, I used those eight words to change a nation, to draw them to repentance, to turn them from destruction and back towards me. Did you not see all of that? And now Jonah's angry. I, God, why? Why are you trying to rescue a, a barbaric nation that, that hates you, that hates us as people and, and has tortured our people? I don't get it. I'm angry. So we learned last week there was still that anger and that unsettled heart that he was walking through. And so it concludes in verse 4 asking that question, do you, do you have a right? Do you have a right to be angry? See, I know, why, I know why we get angry, but do you have a right, God asks. Do you have a right to be angry over how I've chosen to work, how I've chosen to do life, how I have chosen to orchestrate things? And so Jonah, in, this, in, the, in the only way Jonah has, and, and uh, he goes up to the east side hill, I guess, and, and he sits up there and he creates this, this quasi-shelter and he sits underneath there and he kind of crosses his arms and he just is watching the city to see what happens. Now, if you're like me, I grew up in a family of four boys and I loved watching my brothers get in trouble. Loved it. Loved I mean, it was... It was joyous to me. I'm not going to lie. Like I would, I would sneak up to the door and I'd put my ear to the door and, I'd be, and my dad would be in there, you know, doing business. And, and I'd be like, yes, yeah. Like vengeance is sweet, you know, in that moment. And, and, and it was almost, it, it was just, it was this glorious moment like, see, you got what you deserved. And, I, and it feels like this moment here for Jonah. Jonah gets up on this hill, kind of creates this shelter, and he's sitting there, and he's like, okay, God, I know what you said you're going to do, but let's just see. Let's just see if you, you're going to really follow follow through. Maybe, maybe I might have a, a better day and actually see the city destroyed, you know, um, which is weird in a weird, I don't know, okay. But he's sitting up there and he's hoping, maybe even praying that, you know, God changes his mind and the city gets destroyed. Well, then God, God decides to take on, take this opportunity and teach Jonah a few things. So, so God, in the way that only God can, he he grows a leaf, and it, uh, it grows this, 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 this plant of some kind. And I don't know what kind of plant, but it was big enough to, to have these shade leaves. And, and maybe it grew overnight, because God can do that. And it grew overnight, and it spread over the top of the shelter, and, and it offered Jonah comfort. It says here, it says that the next morning at dawn, or excuse me, it says that, that this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. It was almost like this moment, like, I'm angry, but thanks for the shade. Appreciate it, you know? It's, have you ever had that moment? It's like, okay, well, I appreciate this. And, and it was almost, I, 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 again, I get very, I, 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 there's this storyline that plays out in my mind, and I get very visual as I see this interaction between him and God. It was almost like, yeah, God, um, I'm finally back on your radar. Thanks for seeing me once again, okay? Thanks for knowing how important I am. I, I know it's all about you, but really kind of all about me, so thanks for the shade. I appreciate you including me in your plans once again. Now, if you could just see the city over there, if you could just do business over there, that would be great. It would be fantastic. And so God in his 
in the way that only God works, in the same way that the plant shot up the, in one day, he sends this worm, and this worm eats through the stem of this plant, and it destroys this plant, and it withers. And then not only that, God sends scorching wind to blow against Jonah in this moment, sunburn, chap lips, you know, dust in the teeth, whatever. He's not a happy camper. He's not, he's not glad of how things are working. He's not, he is angry, he's frustrated to the point of where Jonah is so mad that he becomes so emotionally caught up that he truly believes that death is more preferable and a better alternative than him not getting his way. Now think about that. I would rather die than to not have my way. I mean, this is an adult temper tantrum. I mean, do you see that? Like he's going, I am not happy. And so I just prefer to die. And he's having this conversation with God. God, how dare you go against what I planned? How dare you set things up and orchestrate things in the way that you wanted to do it? Obviously, at the beginning of chapter 4, Pastor Caleb, he goes, he goes, yeah, I identified. He's like, I know you're a God of love. And he's, say, and he's angry. Why he's saying that? Thanks for being merciful. You know, I mean, like, like think about this conversation that's, between, that's happening between Jonah and, and we, we look at that and we smile at it. And there's a little bit of ridiculousness, it almost seems like, in this moment. But it's to produce and actually allow us to see a mirror in front of us because we do the same thing. If we're honest, God, you did something I don't like. I have a right to be mad. You orchestrated something. You had something happen, and now I'm angry. I would rather die. See, and then God, again, repeats that same question in verse 9 that he asked in verse 4. Do, Jonah, do you, do you have a right to be angry that I took the plant? Like, do you, do you, do you have a right to be angry that, that the plant died? Do you, have a, do you have a right? Or, oh, by the way, Jonah, is a bigger deal, or should it be a bigger deal that 120,000 people were planned for destruction? Help me out, Jonah. Is that, I mean, is that more important than your personal your personal feelings, your, your lack of trust in this moment is, is, is where your attention and your focus is. Is that more important than these lives that I've been chasing after ever since the beginning of this book? Is that more important? See, I think it's the right question. It's the right question then in Jonah's book. Do you have a right to be angry? As it is the right question now. God, God, I feel like I have the right to be angry, and God's looking at you. Do you really? Do you really have a right to be angry because I did what I wanted to do? Again, he's been doing what he's wanted to do since the beginning of time. And we're okay with that word trust as long as it aligns with us. Soon as it gets out of whack from what we like or what we want, trust goes immediately out the door. Goes immediately out the door. We toss trust aside. God's not worthy of my trust in that moment. We can't rely on what God is doing. Two different times God asked the same question. Do you have a right, Jonah, to be angry? Do you have a right to not trust me and be frustrated about how I'm deciding to move? And really what God is getting at, I think, if we're, if we're looking at it, he, he's saying that that. Jonah, you've never had control. You've never had control. And just because it doesn't align with what you want, now you feel like you have a right to be mad. But you've never had control to begin with. I've always had control. And see, and what pushes against, and, and in this moment, I think what God is trying to communicate to Jonah, just like he's trying to communicate with us this morning, is, is, is at what point am I not sovereign over all? Which means, at what point have I never not been in control? At what point? Tell me, show me. 
There's never been a point that God has not been in control. You may feel like life is out of control. You may look at the, uh, watch the news or you see things going on in your life or in other lives or wherever, and it may feel like it's spinning out of control. But make no mistake, at no point does God need to reach back out to try to capture control because he's always had it. He's always had it. And we're so quick to forget that. I look at the Amons and, and their willingness to kind of go, okay, God, I don't, my checklist doesn't line up, and, and I don't know how provision's going to work, and, and I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but, but I know that this is what you want me to do, so I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to believe that you're going to navigate it. And, and in doing so, guess what? They've seen so much blessing on the other side. There's so much rich blessing on the other side of, tr of trusting Jesus. There really is. See, God is sovereign. He's always been sovereign. He's always been in control. Paul drills this home in Romans chapter 9, and I want to look at that this morning. Romans chapter 9, he, he, at the beginning of the book, he just kind of talks, he's sharing with us how God works, how God operates, and how he's always kind of operated. And he begins to talk about Abraham and, and all the lineage and Isaac and all this other sort. But, but in Romans chapter 9, I want you to see this with me. In verse 10, it says, this son was our ancestor Isaac. So he's kind of laying some things out in regard to how God has chosen to work. And he's bringing up the lineage of, the, of Abraham and following. And so he says that son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, because he did, Isaac married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. So, so a God that's in control already knows what he's going to do with the lives before they even know that they're called to do something for the Lord. And then he goes on to say, he says, this message shows that God chooses people according to what? His own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. So God still uses broken people. God still uses good people. God still uses happy people. God still uses lost people. You know why? Because he's God. And he controls all things. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. And I know what you're going to think, but, the, but scripture beat you to it. Are we saying then that God was unfair? God, what? Why do you get to do what you want to do? Why, why does the older brother have to serve the younger brother? Why, do you, why does it have to be that way? See, we begin to ask these questions. Why are you doing it this way, God? You're pushing, against, you're pushing buttons in my life. You're pushing against things that, that I want to have control over and I want to orchestrate. And then he goes, is that unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, guess what I do? I'll show mercy to anyone I choose. I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides, even if we stop there. So it is God who decides. And if I'm honest with me, myself, like that's hard for me sometimes. It was hard for Jonah. See, because we ask the question, why do you get to decide, God? Why do you get to pull the strings? Why do you get to do what you want to do? Well, then God still even speaks into that. He decides who to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. We bring nothing to the table. For who are you, a mere human, human being, to argue with God? That's the right question, right? Who are you? You're just a man. And you're standing next to an all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, all-everywhere God who has been in control since before the world began. At what point do you think that your two cents in regard to how he chooses to work actually matters? Because see, when we step in, every time you see mankind 
step in and try to control it, 100% of the time goes bad. 100%. But Joel, we're, aren't we sort of inherently good? You've been watching too much news, okay? There's nothing good. We bring nothing to the table. We are a creation made by an all-powerful but loving creator. And he chooses plans and paths for his glory and to capture your heart and affection. We can neither choose it nor work for it. Who are we mere human beings to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why'd you make me this way? Why'd you make me like this? Some of you are saying that even now. God, why'd you bring me into this world? Why did you do what you did? Why did you orchestrate life the way that you did? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? Doesn't he? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's so very patient. He's so very patient. See, even though he orchestrates everything and he navigates everything and, and all of the above, and even though he has anger, he shows incredible patience. And he orchestrates everything so that those who his anger falls, who are destined for destruction, I think that uh, he is patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. And that was the, that was the verse. I thought that was, there was one more verse. Sorry. He has the right to show what he wants to show. He has the right to do what he wants to do. He always has been. But see, this, this is the part that Jonah struggled with. And this is why, we're, why the book is concluded the way it is. See, Jonah saw what God did and was about to do even in this moment. See, but here's what Jonah didn't know. If you continue on reading about the Ninevites through Scripture, you know what you find? Nineveh eventually gets destroyed because of their wickedness. Just read Amos. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, eventually, it still happens. They eventually, like a dog that returns to its vomit, it eventually went back to its old ways, back to it. There was this moment of reprieve, but he did it because he loves people, and he's trying to give them an opportunity. There's a reason why I'm being patient. There's a reason why I'm trying to draw you into a deep love relationship. So beca Because people matter to me, Jonah. I know you don't get that. I love, I love what Tim Keller said. I love what Tim Keller said about this whole idea of God controlling things. He says, you can't answer the call to trust God in your life if you continue to believe life is about you. Make no mistake, God is for you. He just doesn't belong to you. We try to, we try to take God, put him in our pocket. He's, see, we think that God is something to use rather than someone to trust. God is not something to use. He is someone to trust. He is not some, um, he's not some servant to be led, but a master to be served. This has always been God. And this bothers us. It bothered Jonah. And so to answer the original question, do we have a right to be angry when God does what he wants to do? The answer to that is no. No, we don't. We don't have a right to be angry when the plant dies. We don't have a right to be angry when God moves in the way that he wants, chooses to do what he wants, orchestrates things the way that he wants, and don't think for a second that he's not in control of things that you don't like. He's always in control. God is not, he's not going to get, trying to get control, as I said before. He's always had control. We were just a creation. We See, God wasn't made for us. We were made for him. At what point did we forget that? You were made for God. But if you continue to see God as something to possess rather than a someone to trust, you're never going to understand that. You're going to constantly think God is God does my bidding. He's my cosmic Santa Claus to 
grant all my wishes and to make life better and to, to make everything or, you know, happen and, and for me to get stuff and to have all these different things and, and, and I need more and, and God, oh, I've, my life is not working out and so you fix that. No, God, at what point do we trust God both in the good and the bad times? I know it's hard but this is, what, this is what Jonah is being taught here in this moment. This is what we're being shown here this morning, to trust God no matter what. So how do we trust God? That's the follow-up question. How do we trust God? What does it mean to trust him? The Proverbs does a great job of helping us see this. And this is a passage many of you have read, seen, maybe even memorized here. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is what it says. It says, Trust. Trust in who? The Lord. With all your heart, which actually means with all your emotions. Trust in the Lord with all your emotions. All, everything how you feel, trust in the Lord with all your emotions, all your feelings, everything. And do not depend on your own knowledge, all the facts you have in your mind, all the information that you think you have or don't have. He's saying don't depend on that. Trust in the Lord with all your emotions. Don't stop leaning on your emotions. Stop leaning onto your own strength, your own understanding, because you'll never figure everything out. Seek his will in all you do. Not just in some things, not when things are just working out, not just according to your plan and your purpose. No, in all that you do, all the time, and then he will show you which path to take. God, God has created a creation that, that was created for 100% dependence upon its creator. 100% dependence requires 100% trust. But I don't, I, I don't want you to misunderstand when we really get to this place of trusting the Lord with all of our heart, we're not leaning on our own understanding, but we're in all of our ways acknowledging him, he will direct our path. When we get to that place, there's so much life on the other side of that. There's so much freedom. You know why? Because I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds it. I may not know whether this is going to go well or this is going to go bad, but I know the one who will decide for me. Do you see what I'm saying? Like this, I, I am free when I get to trust in the God who has everything in his hands anyway. You find freedom in those moments. You enslave yourself to worry. This is why in Philippians it says, instead of worrying about anything, pray about everything. Take all that you have and you lay it at the feet of Jesus because there is not a problem that you can walk through that he doesn't already know. And he doesn't already have the answer for because when we don't when we don't acknowledge Jesus in everything with our emotions and our feelings when we don't fix our eyes on Jesus not on man when we don't trust him and his promises and when we don't when we don't trust him without any doubt in our mind and in our hearts when we don't trust him here's what happens Jeremiah gives us a very clear picture of what happens for men and women who don't trust in God. Jeremiah chapter 17 says this. This is what the Lord says. And he starts out, cursed. Cursed are you. Are those who put their trust in mere humans. Who rely on human strength. And turn their hearts away from the Lord. Here's what they're like. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert. We, we get a picture of that, right? We know. Just walk outside our door. But isn't this, but like, think of the imagery of where, jo where Jonah is. He's on the east side of Mesa with a little makeshift shelter. He's like a stunted shrub in the desert with no hope for the future. Think God knows what he's talking about? When you don't trust the Lord. This is what we have to, to look forward to. We look forward to, they will live in barren wilderness and in uninhabited, salty lands. That's what, we get look for, that's what we look forward to when we're not trusting in God the way that we need to. 
I know life is hard. Jonah, if, I, if he was here today, I think he could even echo this. Of all the things that God, I, Jonah, I get it. You, those people killed you, hated you, despised you, and wanted nothing. They are your enemy in every way, shape, or form. But if you understand the God of the universe, his value based on people does not deter, is not determined on geographic location, on race, on culture. It's the fact that he created them, and they are inherently valuable and worth saving. This is the Ninevites, and I know you don't like it, but I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to invite you in if you're willing to trust me, to be a part. And if you just wait, you're actually going to see something happen on the other side. But you're going to miss it when we're not trusting. See, when we finally begin uh, to, to, to trust and we move past this idea of, of cursed because we're not trusting, we're cursed. We stop growing if we look at the scripture. We stop growing, we become hopeless. We have divided loyalty. When you don't trust God, do you realize you have divided loyalty? You're saying, okay, God, I'll trust you with a little bit, but I'm gonna trust in me. I'm gonna trust you a little bit, but I'm gonna still trust in me. Because I feel like I, I need to still bring something to the table. I still feel like I need to do something. And when we have divided loyalty, I mean, when you look at the book of James, James, even chapter 1, it says, if, uh, do not, it says, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. When we put a little bit of trust in God and a little bit of trust in ourselves, you're not even trusting God. Do you see what I'm saying? You're 100% not trusting God, even though you think you're trusting God when you give him a little bit. God goes, I want all. I deserve all. I'm in control of all. I will do what I want, whether you want to be a part of it or not. But I'm telling you, there's blessing on the other side because Jeremiah 17 doesn't lead us, leave us in the, un, in the uninhabited salty lands. This is what he goes on to say for people that do trust. He says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted. I love that word, planted. Like you're rooted in. Like nothing's gonna uproot you. Nothing's gonna, uh, nothing's gonna shake you. You're planted along a riverbank. You're drinking from the nourishment that you always need with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat, or worried by the long months of drought. That would have been a different day for Jonah if he just understood that. Their leaves stay green, and here they never stop producing fruit. If you look at your life right now, because here's what God's called. God's called us to produce fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He's, he's called us with a great commission, not the great omission. The great commission is, is go and make disciples. Like live every day on mission where our life exudes everything that Jesus is to a world that has no idea what hope looks like, has no idea that if they actually could be saved, if their life could be transformed. When we are not trusting in the Lord, we shouldn't expect anything in our life, according to James. But when we do, man, we got roots that are anchored so deep, drawing on the right things. God is filling our life, refreshing our life, that even when the scorching heat blows against us, and we all got a picture of it, we're going to be unmoved. When God does things we don't understand or we don't like, we're gonna be unmoved. You know why? Because our eyes shouldn't be fixed on anyone horizontal. Man will always fail. Jesus never does. Jesus never fails. So as we look at that passage, there's blessing. You're stable. You grow. You produce fruit. You're unmoved, you're unaffected when trials come. But unfortunately, as we know, Jonah 
you miss that. It actually ends with God going, you're mad about all these things. You're mad about all these things. When, and, and, and the truth is, I'm adding, this, I'm adding this part. I think the enemy loves it when we're distracted from the main thing. When we get so wrapped up in things that, that we have put so much emphasis, so much importance, so much, all of a sudden our attention's here rather than here. And that's what, that's what God was saying to Jonah. Jonah, your attention's here about your anger and how wounded you are and how hurt you are and why I didn't do what you wanted me to do and why I didn't orchestrate it the way that you wanted me when 120,000 people are dying and going to hell. Like, do you, Jonah, do you get that? Like, this is, this, is how, this is how the book of Jonah ends. And then he even adds some humor. He's like, not only 120,000 people, but all the animals are going to die for destruction too. I mean, he lays this out. There's the, that humor back in Jonah because he's like, look, are, you're not even worried about the animals that are going to die and go to hell, right? Animals don't, okay. I'm not, I'm not even going to get to that. Okay, dogs maybe. I don't know. We'll see. The reality is as God called us to a life of trust. And Jonah just didn't. He couldn't get there. But my question is, is are you there right now? Are you at a place of where you're like a stunted shrub in the desert or, or are you like a, a tree planted along a riverbank? Trusting in the Lord, believing that he will do and he will orchestrate and he will bring about his glory and he will build his kingdom and he's inviting you all in to be a part. Don't get distracted when 130,000 people in Las Cruces, New Mexico are dying and going to hell. Don't get distracted. My, I shared with you that story about my wife at the beginning. There's another part to that story. She, she was living every day in fear. And then one night, my wife, she had a dream. And she goes, Joel, this dream was just so real. And I remember I was in heaven in this dream. And there was this momentary bliss while I was in heaven. And all of a sudden I see this individual kind of in the distance. It's the only other person that I saw. And then this person turned around and she saw this man with a smile and a gold tooth. And her first thought was this, God, that's unfair. That was her first thought. God, that's unfair. My wife says, I remember saying that in the dream. God, that's unfair. And then she said that a voice told her, she goes, Michelle, he's just as valuable as you are. And so my wife turned her anger, turned her fear, and began to every day in that moment, she committed to praying for the salvation of that man every single day. And you know, with the moment she did that, she said, she said, honey, I stopped being afraid. I stopped, I stopped being afraid. I stopped, I, I could walk to school again. And, and even if I saw that man, it became, I, I knew that it would be an opportunity to share Christ with that man because he's valuable. That's what's more important. Yes, it seemed unfair in the moment, but guess what? God's got a bigger plan for the guy with the smile and the gold tooth, and he's got a big, bigger plan for the Ninevites. He's got a bigger plan for Las Cruces, New Mexico, and he's going to continue to work, and he's inviting you in, and he's saying, are you going to trust me even when you don't get it? Are you going to believe that I'm still working, I'm still in control, even when things touch sensitive nerves in our life, God is still working, he still will, and he will constantly be working until his return. He's just inviting you into trust in this moment. Because then all of a sudden we're going to have trees walking around this city. And this city will end up becoming a lush forest of followers of Jesus that are drinking from the living word of God, the river of life that is flowing in their life. There, there's going to be fruit all over this place, not because in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And you're going to see a revival in this city because we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. We're not going to be distracted of how the enemy may would love to divide and conquer. And the same thing is that happened in the Ninevites is going to happen in this city. I believe 
it. I know it. That's why God's called us to the desert to share the good news with the dark and dying world. Are you going to join me? Are you going to be in that process? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Right now, the very first step of trusting Jesus is trusting him with your whole life. It's saying, God, I don't have control. Some of you have fought for control your whole life, and right now, in this moment, God's going, are you going to surrender all the keys to your kingdom to me? Are you gonna surrender everything you have to me? If you wanna know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where trust starts. It starts by giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you and you've never really made that that step of faith, you've never really trusted in Jesus Christ in that way, that he died for you, that he was buried in a tomb for you, and that he rose again for you, setting you free from the penalty of sin, the price of sin, allowing you to, and then giving you the Holy Spirit to be able to produce the fruit that God always wanted you to produce. If you've never done that, then I want to give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus this morning. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about the words. It's about who you're talking to. Because you have the God of the universe's undivided attention. If you want to know Jesus, you can say this silently in your heart. Or you can say it out loud. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because you're talking to an audience of one this morning. If you want to know Jesus, you can say this prayer right now. By saying, dear Jesus... I admit I haven't trusted you. I've lived my life my own way. I've done my own thing. I'm broken. I'm lost. And I need a savior. Jesus, would you save me? Would you take my broken life? Take my control. I want to be yours. I give it all to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you were buried in a tomb for me. That you took the whole wrath of God on yourself. For me. Jesus, change me. Make me whole. Make me new. Let me trust you like never before. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you do this, Pastor, the privilege of being able to pray for you? I just want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you out. But would you allow me the opportunity to just pray for you? If you said that prayer for the very first time, if you trusted in Jesus, for the very first time. All I want to do is pray for you. Would you just do me a favor and just, you could slip your hand up for just a second. You could put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to make sure I want to, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For the rest of us sitting here right now, that are wrestling with the same question Jonah was. And that Jonah was asked, do we have a right to be angry? Are you trusting in Jesus the way that you need to so that you can live a life on mission, so that you can continue to build the kingdom of God in the way that he always wanted? Listen, there's no perfect people. There's no perfect places. There's only a perfect God. And we lean into that. Father, would you help us? God, thank you for the life transformation that you, took, that you did this morning. Would you continue to change lives? Would you continue to, to move and work? Those that said, I trusted in Jesus for the first time, their life, it will never be the same as they've laid their hands into the hands of a mighty God. Lord Jesus, for those that, that, have, that have carried their own trust and put a little bit of trust in, in you, God, I pray that they would completely surrender. They take all of their trust and they put it, in the tr- and put it in trusting Jesus alone for life and forever 
so that, God, we can live on mission, that we can live a life fully trusting in you, seeing your kingdom built, you doing what you want to do in the way that you want to do it. So, God, we surrender to you. We lay it at your feet. God, I pray right now that as we trust in you, that you would build up an army of disciples here at Real Life Church and in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Lord Jesus, that, that like you shared about the Ninevites, God, there's 130 plus thousand people in Las Cruces that need to know you. So would we live on mission? Would we live a life called by you, trusting in you, believing that every conversation's an opportunity, believing that every person with a smile and a gold tooth is, because, is an opportunity, not something to fear, but something to trust in you about and believe that you're gonna save the most broken and lost person no matter what walk of life they're from, no matter what background. And God, would you give us the words and would you give us the wisdom and the know-how and the insight on how to do that? But that only comes by us laying our hands and our trust at your feet and saying, God, do with us what we can't do with ourselves. Jesus, thank you for using a broken people to build your kingdom and for your glory, Lord Jesus. We praise you for all that you're doing and all that you have yet to do. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Love you guys this morning.